Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. He's Aaron McIntyre. We have a jam-packed show lined up for you today. A lot going on here at the bottom of the hour. A story that uh, we have been anxious to discuss is just with everything going on uh, campaign-wise uh, and in our backyard. We didn't have time to get to it, but uh, our good friend Tracy Beans is going to rejoin the show here at the bottom of the hour. Last week, uh, there was a court ruling calling for more uh, document revelations from our healthcare overlords, particularly the CDC's V-Safe program. And if you're, if you're a longtime listener to this show, you know what V-Safe is. Most Americans don't, though. Uh, V-Safe was the program that CDC set up it, it precisely for monitoring uh, the safety, or lack thereof, of, uh, of, of the poison pokes, of, of, of whatever the chimeric goulash concoctions they came out of Operation Warp Speed with. That's what v, V-Safe does. Uh, that's right, and this thing's existed from the from the from a, a, the spring of twenty one. Uh, there's a, a, over ten million people are part of this sample. They have known all these warning signs, all these signals all along. They didn't want you to know to know that they knew, uh, but uh, a federal judge has said, "No, you're going to have to tell people exactly what were in your files." Tracy Beans has gone through uh, some of the, what uh, the court has had to say and what's in some of those uh, court filings. She will join us at the bottom of this hour to give us an update that you do not want to miss for sure. Uh, remember, we uh, we decided to evolve fake news or not into idolatry or not. There was a viral clip going around yesterday with Russell Brand, who clearly has undergone some form of, of spiritual evolution in his life and has uh, become a critical thinker of some renown, uh, the actor and comedian. Uh, but he was talking about why he wears a cross. And I, I was intrigued to see the varying reactions of fellow believers to what Russell Brand was saying. Uh, and we're going to discuss that uh, for idolatry or not during the final segment of today's show. And then before that, at the top of the next hour, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will join us. As far as we know, this will be his first post-presidential campaign debrief, the first long-form interview that he has given uh, since he left the presidential race. And he will talk about why. What's next, both this year in this cycle and in the state of Florida and nationally, and then what may or may not be next for him uh, in the future. And we'll get to to the governor. Uh, That's coming up at the top of next hour. I know that we're already uh, three plus weeks into 2024, but it's not too late to take a look at your health care options, particularly health care sharing with our friends at Samaritan Ministries. It's not insurance. It's a it's a community of Christians paying one another's medical bills. And because it's not insurance, they're not bound by open enrollment. So you can join. Any time of the year, even today, uh, there are really three reasons people end up choosing Samaritan Ministries. One, to be a part of a Christian community. That way, when you have a medical need, fellow Samaritan members, they'll send money directly to you and help you pay those bills. You'll do the same for them. But even more importantly, you're going to be praying for and encouraging one another during those times, too. Second, there's networks which puts you in control, or there are no networks, which puts you in control of your family's health care. Uh, you know what's best for them. You're going to choose the doctors and hospitals that you go to. 
and therefore have a say in the treatments they do or in some cases do not receive. And then third, you get to the flexibility. You choose your own start date. You can join today and start health care sharing with Samaritan Ministries. Pick a future date that lines up with what your current obligations are. Uh, when you want to make the switch, you can do that. So whether it is something that needs healed, like a broken bone, something serious like cancer, something to celebrate like a pregnancy, or all other medical needs in between, you can have comfort knowing that you're connected to over 80,000 Christian households across the country who are ready to start caring for one another spiritually and financially when it's needed most. You can go to SamaritanMinistries.org slash Steve Dace to join today. SamaritanMinistries.org slash Steve Dace. And with that, it's a busy day. So let's get it started as we always do with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Gut Check Time in Texas. The Supreme Court yesterday issued a ruling saying the federal government can remove razor wire erected on the U.S.-Mexico border by Texas law enforcement, which the government argued illegally prevented them from managing the border. The 5-4 decision vacated an appeals court ruling last month that allowed the wire to stay amid a continued legal standoff over border jurisdiction. Chief Justice John Roberts led the majority alongside lefty justices Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, Kentaji Brown-Jackson, and one Amy Coney Barrett, with the remaining justices joining the dissent. The conflict over the border escalated earlier this month when the Texas National Guard and the Department of Public Safety erected fences and razor wire in a riverside park in Eagle Pass, Texas, an illegal crossing hotspot. The state law enforcement prevented U.S. Border Patrol officers from accessing the park, which also contains the region's main boat ramp. As of now, Texas Attorney General Paxton and Governor Abbott have defied the Biden administration's edicts and deadlines to withdraw their state forces from this particular area. And Abbott last night said the fight against the federal government is not over. The Department of Homeland Security and DOJ had given Texas a deadline of last week to withdraw, but so far Texas has told them to pound sand. Headline from the Babylon Bee, Supreme Court rules it's illegal for National Guard to guard nation. Sad news out of the Middle East. U.S. Central Command is now confirming two U.S. Navy SEALs who went missing off the coast of Somalia a couple of weeks ago are now presumed dead. The SEALs were boarding a ship laden with weapons from Iran to Houthi rebels who've been attacking commercial vessels in the waters of that region in recent weeks. One of the SEALs was knocked off the vessel amidst choppy waters when the other followed protocol and jumped into the water after him. Those two SEALs presumed dead are Gage Ingram and Chris Chambers. Their bodies have not yet been located. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy went on Fox News the other day and blamed the House Freedom Caucus for Republicans' failures. Uh, you're, you're asking the wrong person when you ask Mike McCall um, that question. You really should be asking the Freedom Caucus. They are the ones who have stopped the Republicans from being able to govern. So what they are doing is they're locking in the Democratic policies. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, what do you mean by govern, Kevin? Attorneys for Blaze Media reporter Steve Baker are now warning that they believe the Justice Department could be preparing retaliatory actions against Baker for his intrepid reporting on January 6th. Baker's attorneys said in a statement that the DOJ has known about Baker's actions on J6 for going on three years, but have only recently shown any interest in pursuing him legally. Quote, it's only now, after Steve has broken two major stories greatly embarrassing to the DOJ, that he is possibly being targeted for arrest and possibly felony prosecution. Any action to put him in handcuffs, hold him in custody, or have him transported to court by federal law enforcement will be nothing other than retaliation for his recent reporting, end quote. 
Tiffany Justice from Moms for Liberty went on Joy Reid's show on MSNBC to defend a Florida law that bans pornographic books from public school libraries. Reid attempted to discredit the law by pointing out that certain books have excerpts that are just taken out of context, like one book named All Boys Aren't Blue, which contains an account of incestuous sodomy and talk of strap-on dildos. Check out this exchange. The question I'm asking is, what is the expertise that you have and other Moms for Liberty advocates have to decide that a book, an award-winning book like All Boys Aren't Blue isn't oh. appropriate for students to read? What, what is your expertise? A, what a tragic story of a young man who's anally raped by his adult family member. So you mm -hmm. have incest, rape, pedophilia. Joy, you said you'd let me answer, so sure. I'm going to answer Please for do. you. Um, in what context is a strap-on dildo acceptable for public school? Just let, I mean, that's my question mm -hmm. to you. Not only did Joy Reid and MSNBC promote that clip on social media, they quoted Tiffany Justice of Moms for Liberty in their social posts, except they censored out the strap-on dildo comment, substituting it with a series of X's, ostensibly admitting that kind of content isn't suitable even for Twitter. Unbelievable. Those who have ears to hear update, Mike Dixon was a sports journalist for the UK Daily Mail who back in 2022 mocked tennis superstar Novak Djokovic for refusing the COVID jab. He called Djokovic's decision a strange hill to die on. In completely unrelated news, Dixon collapsed and died while covering Djokovic and others at the Australian Open last week. On Twitter, Djokovic sent his condolences to Dixon and his family. And finally, late last week at the March for Life, not only did Michigan Wolverines head football coach Jim Harbaugh attend the event, he spoke at it too. Harbaugh is coming off guiding his Michigan squad to a perfect 15-0 national championship season. Cultural and political commentator John Root interviewed Harbaugh at the March for Life. Why are you so bold and then why do you feel like it's kind of taboo to talk about this? We can talk about everything on God, green earth in college sports and pro sports, but a lot of people don't touch the pro-life issue. Why is that? Just have the courage to let the unborn be born. I, I And uh, the testimony of, of, of so many here of yourself, uh, you know, just so, so thankful and grateful for that. This is a great day for a march. It's a great day for the sanctity of life. And it's a, it's football weather. Yeah. So let's go. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage is brought to you by our friends over at Relief Factor. If you're someone who is struggling with chronic pain, this is usually the result of too much inflammation in your joints. Um, you might be struggling trying to find the right medication, then dealing with the side effects. Um, you can maybe mask the pain, but how about something that won't leave you feeling groggy or weird or um, might actually give you real relief? Relief Factor is a daily supplement that helps your body fight pain by fighting that inflammation in your joints. It's 100% drug-free, even though it was developed by doctors who can prescribe drugs, but they were looking for something drug-free to try to fight back on inflammation in the body. Over a million people have tried Relief Factor's Quick Start Kit for just three weeks. 70% of them saw such outstanding results in three weeks or less that they went on to order the product again or stay with it long term. See if you don't see that kind of difference in three weeks or less from our friends at Relief Factor. With their three-week quick start, it's just, the kit is just $19.95, just 20 bucks. all right? And it comes with Relief Factor's Feel Better or Your Money Back Guarantee. So you've got nothing to lose. It's just 20 bucks, and if it, you're in the 30% it doesn't work for, they'll give you your money back, all right? Uh, 1-800-THE-NUMBER-4-RELIEF is how you can call them. 1-800-THE-NUMBER-4-RELIEF or just go to relieffactor.com. Again, the three-week quick start is available at relieffactor.com. 
All right, let's uh, let's get to as much of what is Aaron's montage as uh, as we can. Uh, there is a pretty devoted member of our audience who is connected to one of the two families of the Navy SEALs who have gone, who have been missing here for uh, the last several days, uh, Patrick in our audience. And I've been communicating with him and um, just a tragic, tragic circumstance. So but I, I'm sure Patrick is listening today or will listen at some point via the podcast and uh, to him and the families involved. Um, just our hearts go out to you. Prayers to all of you. And uh, thank you for uh, the service of your sons, your brothers, your nephews, your grandsons, um, the the two men that uh, that you gave to our country and that uh, your families are now suffering along with the rest of us for their loss. So I just wanted to mention that from the outset. Okay, um, let's let's go to Texas. And I, I, I thought the way that uh, I saw, I want to make sure I give him credit for this, the, the way I saw Dave Rubin yesterday summarize this ruling, I think, is, is the pithiest and best I've seen thus far. Basically, the Supreme Court has told Texas, your choices are be invaded or secede. That, that's essentially what Texas has been told by the Supreme Court. As a quick aside, as a quick aside... There are some very important and very wealthy and successful people in this business who have been telling you all along that we're, we're going to be able to count on the Supreme Court to stop the, Democra- to stop the Democrat lawfare election interference this year. I hope they're right. Because I will tell you, my confidence is greatly bolstered that you can count on John Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett to stand in the gap and stand against the lockstep Democrat contingent on the court in stopping this lawfare election interference. My, my confidence, in fact, has never been higher. Actually, no, I'm not really confident in that at all. Um... But that's okay, because we're going we're gonna to bank the entirety of an election. We all agree we can't afford to lose on these people. Not on ourselves. On them. So. And, and I got to tell you, yesterday's ruling. Predictable. Also not good. But here's where we are. And, and this is something... You know, other than the pro-life cause, I have probably discussed on on this show going back to the day that it debuted on June, I think it was 12th, 2006, was my first full-time show leaving Sports Talk Radio on the 50,000 watt blowtorch WHO. So other other than pro-life, this is the conversation and issue we have had more discussions about in the history of this program than any other. At some point, at some point, someone has to practice the doctrine of the lesser magistrate and defy the courts when they have made a ruling that clearly goes against the intended schema of the Constitution. Now, what does that word mean? It means both the explicit and implied intent of a thing. That's what it means. Both the explicit and implied intent. 
This is the U.S. Constitution. It is not the planetary Constitution. These are the United States, not the United Federation of Planets. This Constitution is only a compact that both enjoins, protects, and defends Americans. It does not apply to non-Americans. If you are not a citizen, it is not for you. Wherever you're from, you are welcome to construct your own variation, whether it be superior or weaker to our own. But to quote Pearl Jam, when they would get pissed off at people singing along to their hit songs back in the day, it's not for you, all right? It's not for you. It's for us. And it's about damn time that that was upheld and applied. Now, we have three branches of government. They're not even intended to be co-equal, if you read the Federalist Papers. They're not. But even if we go by that progressive lie of three co-equal branches of government, then we still have to admit that the Supreme Court is not the supreme being. It is not the final word on what the Constitution says. The fact, as Alexander Hamilton writes in the Federalist Papers, the the fact that it was given neither force nor will to enforce its edicts is a clear implication it was not meant to be the superior branch. The idea that 56 men, many of them very wealthy landowners, would pledge their lives, fortunes, and sacred honors on at least Part of the reason being no taxation without representation to then create a government where people that are not directly elected by the people have the final word on the laws imposed upon the people and the way they are interpreted would seem to be, for lack of a better description in a more, shall we say, highbrow term, dumb. That would be pretty dumb. Hey, let me watch, let me watch the Redcoats raise and burn my plantation and take my generational wealth from me only so a bunch of oligarchs in black robes now now it's black coats not red coats so that oligar- black coated al- oligarchs can determine now what, what freedoms I do and do not have that is not our system of government that is a progressive lie out of Ivy League law schools that has now permeated almost every other law school in America So if there is any hope to salvage this constitutional republic without some extreme methods none of us want to take part in or witness or subject our children to, this is going to require an executive like Governor Greg Abbott saying to the Supreme Court, I took an oath of office to uphold and defend the Constitution of these United States, so help me God, at the bequest of the people. The 30 million people that live in Texas, their opinions matter more than the five people on the U.S. Supreme Court who don't. And they don't want their cities and neighborhoods overrun by fentanyl and drug cartels and human traffickers. They don't want their wages depressed by non-citizens. They don't. So I'm going to do what they want me to do. 
And if they wanted, if here's the thing, we have these thing called elections, right? Okay. If, 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 if I do what they want me to do and not what you want me to do, and the people think that I should have listened to you instead, guess what, guess what the people then get to do? Oh, vote you out. Sure. The other party is more than welcome to say, Hey, this person didn't do what the Supreme court said. I think with the, I think anything the Supreme court says should be the law. You can run on. I think what the law says should be the law. So I'm going to uphold that. And if the people decide they want to be lawless, well, we had an election and the people decided. How many decided they wanted to be governed by John Roberts? What election determined that? There wasn't one because it's not the way it's supposed to work. Now, we've been working this for more than a century for a couple of reasons. Number one, our side is too gutless to confront theirs. Number two, it then realized, you know, we could create our own legal societies and our own grift and perpetuate this mythology to our own detriment. For every Roe v. Wade we win, there's 50 Kilo New Londons and rulings like this. So for every Roe, for every, <laughs> for, for, for every Roe v. Wade we overturn, there's a hundred of these we, that, that just absolutely bend us over. Through the 20th century until Obama, when he just decided to act on his pen and his phone, every terrible thing Democrats did to the country, with the exception of the welfare state, they did usher that in legislatively through the Great Society. Everything else they did came via the courts, not via a ballot initiative, not via an election, just imposed coercively. At some point, someone is going to have to say, we're not doing that. You have your opinion. I have mine. I'm empowered constitutionally and by the people of this well of this commonwealth to en- to enforce my opinion. You're not empowered to enforce yours. I urge you to. I, I wish you luck trying. Thank you. Appreciate the take. And if you disagree, next election, vote the guy out and say, no, no, no. We want our kids. We want our girls human trafficked and we want our sons, you know, in the suburbs. We want the sons of Plano dying of fentanyl. OK, cool. I mean, then you made your call. You know, and then, you know, get the hell out of that place. It's forsaken, you know, but at least at that point, everybody's on the record. That's how a republic should work. And that's why we don't have one until until we start working it like that. We won't have one again. And if we're not going to say no to this, then, you know, you tell me what we would say no to. Hey, the courts decided everybody named Aaron McIntyre gets to be anal raped. Whether Joy Reid wants to talk about it on MSNBC or not. Okay. Well, I mean, I was, hey, boo boo. Courts, the courts have spoken. What are we going to do? Bend over. I mean, I, okay, cool. You know, I mean, it's stupid when you articulate this out loud. It's dumb. But the people we elect realized that this was a fine loincloth to ask them to do nothing so that they could Pontius pilot this thing. And just put their hands in the basin and wash it and say, I mean, the courts have spoken. The Sanhedrin has spoken. Barabbas it is. The courts have spoken. Lawlessness it is. There's nothing we can do. Except, you know, I'm the Speaker of the House and the President of the United States and the Governor of the largest state in the country. I mean, there's nothing I could do. I've got nothing. I don't control a National Guard, a military, a bureaucracy. I've got, you know, the, the, the ability to appropriate funds. I have, I'm powerless here. I got nothing going on. But anyway, if you got to reelect me next election because it's the most important one of our lifetimes, even though I'm totally powerless. Does that make any sense to you? No. That is a grift of grifts 
that's this country right now. We are not a nation of laws, and we never have been. We are a nation of political will, and we always will be. It is time to act. Act or be taken out. Period, end of sentence. No middle ground, no blogs. Act or get taken out. That's it. Nothing in between. Absolutely nothing. Ask our colleague Steve Baker if there's something in between. I've, I've spoken privately with Steve quite a bit about this the last few weeks. And since it was private, I'll keep it to myself. But I'll, I will share with you one thing that I did share with him. Going back to something we discussed yesterday. I, we don't believe on this show that there is some level of persecution that could be done to, some, to, to a person that the country has proven over and over again they don't like, that they would care. And suddenly realize this is the stuff of banana republics, we have to stop it. But what about just a regular guy, just a regular dad, regular man of faith like a Steve Baker? What if they did it to him? And it was out in the open. And a massive platform like The Blaze was there to blare it so that they're not some forgotten grandmother in a gulag because she went down the wrong hallway on January 6th. She's nameless, but her life is over. What if it happened to him instead? None of us, none of us ask for this kind of suffering or targeting. But ultimately, it is our willingness, if you look at history, it is the willingness of those who are willing to endure it that change history, not the ones who run from it. And I will tell you this after speaking with him privately quite a bit the last few weeks. Steve Baker is resolved. He's ready to go to the mattresses. He's not given a quarter, no matter what. May his house increase. We used to call that being an American. Now it's called rare. I'll stop there. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Steve, you just spoke for a long time there. What expertise, to quote Joy Reid, do you have to say and believe and insist on any of that? And I bring that up not just because of what a joke it is on that particular issue, but all of it. That's what... We aren't Americans anymore because little by little, we've actually been convinced by dumbassery like that question that we really don't. We do need to leave it to the experts. The amazing thing about that is, and I've commented on this before, reporters, by definition, and Steve and I both were one of some fashion in the past, reporters aren't experts on anything. That's what's such a joke about. She's not an expert on anything. Your job is to be objective as possible on every issue that comes across your desk. This whole thing is so stupid. Your job is supposed to be an expert at being American. And that starts with not bending over for all of this nonsense that you routinely bend over for. Starting right with that comfort that you live in all the time. Yeah, when you talk about 
taking action in the context of leadership in Texas. And hats off to them. We, we do need to give them their propers for holding out this long and telling the Biden administration to pound sand. But I, I'm reminded that this this goes back to, you know, the, the health of the church is directly related to the health of a country, the health of a country's leadership. And I'm reminded in in Pentecost at the day of Pentecost, I think it was, after hearing the truth of the gospel preached, the men of Israel, they didn't just consume that truth. They asked, what shall we do now? Mm-hmm. There was action. When, it, when you look at Steve Baker, he, he was acting. He was acting. He was reporting, exposing. And now he's going to have to endure. The, the early believers in the New Testament, they had to endure. And look at what that faith produced. This is all, we're all kind of talking about the same, same kind of themes here. What are you willing to endure? What are you willing to do? And the answers to those questions will answer a bevy of other questions about a lot of other things about the, 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 the fate of our nation, the fate of our families, the fate of our, our communities. What are you willing to endure? What are you willing to do? Don't be just consumers of the truth that you hear, hopefully, on programs like this and podcasts like this. Be doers also. Mm-hmm. The only thing that would have made that clip with the gal from Moms for Liberty better is he just, she just would have looked at Joy Reid and said, I'm an actual mom. That's what qualifies me to talk about this, Joy. How many babies have you birthed? Correct. That would have been the only thing better. Odds are she's killed more babies than she's birthed. I, I've, I've actually ha- had a baby at my breast. I've actually raised children. What have you done? Other than advocate for killing them, maybe doing that yourself. It's time for that level of confrontational response. Right between the eyes. No quarter. Because none will be given in return. Are you having trouble sleeping or staying asleep at night? Is your poor sleep negatively impacting your life? Have you tried other sleep supplements with no success? Well, sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health. And when you are sleeping well, you can perform at your best, both mentally and physically. Proper sleep can also increase focus, boost energy, even improve your mood. That's why we want to introduce you to Beam's Dream Powder, a science-backed hot, healthy cocoa for sleep. All right, so Dream has been a game changer for a lot of people's sleep. And today, you are one of our listeners, and you get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their science-backed healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. That's important, too, because I know a lot of you are making that New Year's resolution this time of year. Better sleep has never tasted better. Beam Dream is easy to add to your nighttime routine. Just mix Dream into hot water or milk, froth, and enjoy right before bed and find out why so many people including publications like Forbes and others are talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes and business professionals. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam, B-E-A-M as in Mary, shopbeam.com slash Steve, and use the code Steve at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash Steve, and use the code Steve at checkout for up to 40% off. 
We welcome in our old friend, or new friend, I guess. Although she feels like an old friend already. Tracy Beans is here with us uh, from Uncovered DC. And there was a monumental ruling last week that got lost in the shuffle with everything happening campaign-wise, Tracy, involving the, the, the CDC's vSafe program. First of all, explain to our audience. Our audience is going to probably be pretty aware of what vSafe is, but reset it for them. And then uh, just kind of off the top rope before we get into specifics, why this was a landmark case. Uh, thanks for having me, Steve. It's great to be back here. So vSafe was an app that the CDC designed um, in their own words to keep track of safety signals um, from the COVID-19 vaccine. Approximately 10 million people signed up to use it. These were the anxious, you know, early folks running out to get the uh, the vaccine. And it was supposed to be used to see if there was anything going on with the vaccine in terms of safety, unlike with theirs, um, which they dis- discredited themselves before <laughs> before we had a chance to really even present uh, all the data. The reason why this case is so monumental is because the ju- it was a FOIA lawsuit, and the judge in this case ruled that vSafe has to produce, the CDC has to produce the free text data or the health impact data um, in that app. So there's a bunch of check box- boxes you could check off, and then there's a text field you could input your own words into. That's the data that the judge ruled had to be produced to uh, Freedom Coalition of Doctors for Choice. So this would be non-edited, non-curated, non-redacted, non-filtered data, not their report on, you know, so we got to take their word for it on what's in there, but they got to show us the raw material, the raw evidence of what actually is in there. Yeah, because they gave a a series of checkboxes that you could check off, right? Nausea, vomiting, fever, pain at the injection site. And they basically said, oh, don't worry, guys, if you have any of these symptoms, that's what's supposed to happen if you get a vaccine. We just want to monitor it. And, And most people were shaking their heads like, that doesn't make much sense if you're trying to look for a safety signal that these are the choices that you'd allow. So I can sued to get that data. And even there we saw a safety signal, even with that canned normal data. But then the CDC allowed this free text field where people could input stuff. And there was one of these released, Steve. It's quite terrifying. Now, the thing about it is I doubt that people are going to be writing in that field. I feel amazing. There's nothing better than getting the COVID-19 shot. So I'm expecting to see a whole lot of information there that will help us as we move towards accountability for, for this disaster. Epic Times came out with an email uh, an internal communication, the the actual email itself that was sent with uh, between some of the mucky mucks within the CDC, I believe in May of 2021. So very early on, May of 2021, referencing a draft alert they were working on pointing to safety signals when it comes to myocarditis and other heart issues with the COVID vaccine. We never saw this warning, never We have no idea what became of this draft. We don't know who spiked it, why it wasn't published, but we do have a record that they had at the very least someone internally with with some level of position was communicating with each other about issuing some form of alert about this as early as May of 2021. Yes, and they did know that early. And the worst part of it is, you know, you think the CDC is looking to test the safety of a drug that's being rolled out, novel technology to millions and millions of people around the world, that they would look for more than a week's worth of that safety signal data. So they were getting those reports from VAERS. There were people coming in with myocarditis, pericarditis, having all of these issues. 
uh, Walensky, I have this in the thread that I, and the article that I wrote about this, she was asked directly about the deaths that were being reported to VARES. And she pulled what they did during COVID, where they counted car accidents as COVID deaths to up the death count. Mm-hmm. If you died with COVID. She said that doctors were reporting car accident deaths after vaccination to VARES. And that's why you were seeing deaths in the system, because it wasn't distinguishing between what happened and, and just an accidental uh, tragic passing of somebody. So they really did try to taint this data, but they only looked at these checkboxes, Steve, for one week, one week, one week. And then they told everyone it was safe. If you're new to issues like this, like I was uh, pre, you know, before COVID, uh, VAERS is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. It was installed uh, as, a, as part of the compromise to pass the 1986 Reagan amnesty on vaccine manufacturers by creating, a, you know, allegedly a democratic self-reporting system unfiltered uh, by any gatekeepers that the average doctor the, could go in there on behalf of their patient and file a claim. It's a very laborious process. Um, it in, in fact, one of the, the guys at, at Harvard University that helped design this for CDC in the early 90s ended up becoming part of the Great Barrington Declaration and, and one of the great critics of our COVID policy, in fact. But um, what uh, there was, a, there have been numerous studies that have shown anywhere from 10 to 1 to 100 to 1 level of, of the rate of incidence is underreported uh, in VAERS just because of how laborious the process is. To get around that, to make it more directly accessible, as Tracy pointed out, CDC comes up with this uh, this simpler app called VSafe, based on even what we know from them. Um, and and I, I don't know how old, how this was last year at the time when we came out with Rise of the Fourth Reich, but mm-hmm. as of as of a year ago, there was an eight percent rate in VSafe of people requiring medical treatment as a result of uh, taking the COVID vaccine, 8% of people. Now that could be, you know, uh, you know, it could, that could be something serious like a myocarditis. That could be severe nausea or I fainted. Okay. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, you're at death's door, but 8% is extraordinarily high. We have canceled any other vaccine for anything rep- approaching even like 1%. And to put that 8% in perspective, that would mean it because we're really looking at a risk reward ratio here. What, what is the great, because everyone took a risk and, and is still taking a risk. We, we are all experiments here. We are all subjecting ourselves to whatever the long-term ramifications are of a virus likely of uh, non, uh, non-natural and malicious origin. Okay, we have, we're going to all learn in real time what that exposure is. And the same thing goes for these, you know, never before injected into mass quantities of humans, mRNA uh, shots. So everybody is a lab rat, whether they took the shot or not. Everybody's a lab rat. So it's a risk reward ratio. So if you have an eight percent, if the odds are eight percent that you will receive some sort of uh, side effect that will require medical treatment, that means that it is 300% more likely. If you look at the IFR, the infection fatality rate for COVID at its, at its most ascendant part of the, of the Delta variant, there, were, there, you are, there is 300% higher odds that you will uh, get, require medical treatment for receiving the COVID vaccine than you were going to die. Uh, of, I'm sorry, 300% higher that you would get, be hospitalized for COVID. And it's 1,800% higher odds that you would need medical treatment for taking the COVID vaccine than you would uh, for the infection fatality rate, which at its worst was about 0.4, all right, before we uh, begin to, you know, categorize for, you know, pre-existing conditions. So 0.4 was the worst IFR for COVID we had. 2% was the peak 
uh, percentage of people that required hospitalization, 300% more likely that you would require uh, medical treatment for the shot than a hospitalization for COVID, 1,800% higher likelihood that you would require medical attention for the shot than you would die of COVID. It's uh, pretty terrifying to lay those numbers out, but that's why I like coming on here with you guys because you really know what you're talking about when it comes to this. And it is important that we don't let this go. One of the issues, Steve, that I have with the whole entire thing is that the way the data is being used so loosey-goosey, you know, we'll never know. They're attributing long COVID to vaccine injury now without clarifying whether or not somebody was, you know, vaccinated. Um, they're, they're basically the, the confounding of data and the, the inability to separate cohorts into their proper demographic and, and how they lay is making it nearly impossible for any research to be done to help people who are in this situation. And so that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing a, a host of vaccine injured who are being cast aside because whoever it is at the top is too stubborn or malicious to take their heads out of their butts and do the right thing. And it's terrible. You put out a very detailed um, Twitter thread last week looking at uh, what the judge had to say in, in his ruling. And folks, you have to read this for yourself, by the way. We, when we have Tracy up on the screen, if you're watching on Blaze TV, we have her, her Twitter handle. But for those of you that uh, are just listening via the podcast, at Tracy Beans, T-R-A-C-Y-B-E-A-N-Z. T-R-A-C-Y-B-E-A-N-Z. You want to go through and read this yourself. This judge did his homework. Uh, if you look at it, as you point out, Tracy, in his footnotes, um, even, you know, cross-referencing public statements by Francis Collins, who is uh, Anthony Fauci's boss, is the head of the NIH, and frankly, in my view, is a criminal. Uh, and uh, then, then looking at, you know, the role that the heavy-handed role the government played in promoting these coercively and posing them with Biden's mandate. Can you walk us through just, to, you know, in the time we have two or three of the specific things the judge points the judge raised here that would be of significance to our audience? Well, the thing that that really flagged me the most was how he talked about the mandates using government force via OSHA. Um, that was something that we were talking about, the threats to public companies of fine if they don't impose a mandate on their employees. And the fact that given time, Steve, he's looking at this and saying maybe they actually weren't right. And I think that's the major thing that people need to walk away with from this is that even these judges who most of whom, whenever was a case in front of them in the midst of this, just looked at it and said, yeah, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We needed to do what we have to do are now either experiencing themselves or starting to see there was actually something just not right here. And they're ruling as such. And we're seeing that pretty much across the board at this point. So it's a breath of fresh air from the judge. And it seems like because the higher ups are starting to doubt themselves and kind of step back on some things, that's allowing the people that used to take their word as gospel to say, uh oh, if they're saying it, then maybe what all of these crazy conspiracy theorists are saying is actually right. Um, and so that's where we are. The judge was fantastic in this case. They need to they need to provide everything in the next year, starting February 15th, rolling production through through next year, a certain amount of entries every month. And I will be covering all of these in detail so that we can get some justice and accountability. Hmm. Final thing, yeah. Tracy, will there ever be the the watershed moment here or are we just for the foreseeable future going to have drip drip drips like this particular ruling and it's going to be up to frankly people like you to you know continue to connect dots 
and things of that I was, nature. I was really hoping we would, um, based on this cycle. Um, unfortunately, with the way it's looking, I don't think it's going to come at least from the executive, which means that we have to focus on our representatives at the local and uh, you know national level in Congress and keep pounding on this. And I will scream it from the rooftops until I have no breath left, because this is the biggest crime against humanity, I think, in our in our history ever. And it needs to be taken care of. So we just have to keep getting the word out there because you're even seeing it with excess deaths and cancer. You know, I scroll my timeline, Steve, on Twitter, and it's every other thing. Mm -hmm. It's anecdotal, but you see it too. I'm sure you do. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. Yeah. Tracy Beans, Editor-in-Chief of Uncover DC. UncoverDC.com is the website, UncoverDC.com. You definitely want to see the thread she put out on Twitter about this, at Tracy Beans, T-R-A-C-Y-B-E-A-N-Z. You definitely want to see it on X, at Tracy Beans there. And uh, she has a podcast as well, Dark to Light, that you can listen to on a daily basis. It's good to have you back on the show, Tracy, and appreciate the work that you're doing. Please keep it up. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. You bet. All right, gentlemen, your thoughts? You know, a recurring thought that I I keep having is take away Operation Warp Speed. Take that away. It's like it never happened. I still have to wonder what the impacts of lockdowns on our immune systems, on everyone's health, Mm -hmm. were. Mm -hmm. When there's a period, a long period of time in many places where people are not interacting, having their immune systems pricked and tested over and over again, as is normal, what that did to us. And then you take into account the people who masked and are still masking. I'm still seeing people in face diapers. You know, at the caucus the other night, it was easy to pick out the Nikki Haley voters because they were all in their face diapers. And what that's doing to their immune systems and those around them by continuing to just breathe in and consume all of that bacteria that's on that face diaper. That's, That's all without injecting a novel substance, a toxic substance, possibly, into a lot of people's arms. We're in a world of trouble. We're just, it's 2024 now, and we're just starting to unravel this. And I don't think the answers that we're going to find, until there's some clarity and until there's some accountability, we're not going to like any of the answers to anything that I just laid out. And again, that's not taking into account Operation Warp Speed. When it comes to vaccines, the lie is always the point. There's nothing new here. So they're not going to go fog of war, mistakes are made. And if they do say that, they're lying about that too. This is what they've always done when it comes to vaccines. Before Moms for Liberty, there was this group called Moms Against Vaccines. And they went in over and over and over again and said, I know what you say about vaccines, but I had this baby boy or girl on this day, and then I trusted you, you stuck these needles in them, and I had this baby boy or girl afterwards, and they got the same Joy Reid response most of the time. You know, you've got to trust the experts at that. You're just an emotional, hysterical mom. They've been lying about vaccines for a long time. Unless you break them now, they are not going to concede anything. I I go back to when Daniel and I were towards the end of the writing phase of Rise of the Fourth Reich. And during one of the last interviews we did, we said goodbye to the person we were interviewing. And Daniel and I always kind of did a debrief, debrief after every interview. What are the things we want to highlight? Who's going to write what, et cetera. And Daniel Horowitz uh, says to me, you know, Steve, 
this probably isn't the first time they've done something like this. And I hadn't even considered it, nor did I really want to because of the implications of it. But I, I think until we start getting real truth about this, we have to assume that. And it would be reckless to assume anything else. Hour two is next. All right, back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. I'm Steve Dace alongside you as well. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox, which you can access by emailing the program steve at stevedace.com. You can also like us on Facebook, MeWe and Gab. Follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter, Gitter, or X, Gitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And then finally, if you are a podcast listener, thank you. If you've yet to do this, please leave us a five-star review if you like the show or you kind of like the show. Now, if you don't like the show, we would not ask you to lie, of course. If you kind of like the show, though, we absolutely would would ask you to exaggerate and just go ahead and give us a five-star review. We need all the help we can get. Also, hit subscribe, or in the case of iTunes, follow. That way, every time we do a new episode, it will show up in your feed every single time. And with that, we are pleased to welcome to the show the governor of Florida, now former Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis, joining us for what I, I think may be his first post-presidential campaign debrief. Governor, it is good to have you back with us here on Blaze TV. How are you? I'm good. You know, you've got uh, the Michigan Wolverines are national champs and the Lions are on the brink of the Super Bowl. So you must be like a pig in slop right now. I am, man. Now, I, I mean, I don't need any help being a pig in slop, but my favorite teams playing that well just, you know, makes all that stuff taste even better, brother. So you bet. I mean, we <laughs> this is quite the football season that we are having. Although, if I'm being brutally honest, as much as I enjoyed those seasons and the experience with my son at the Rose Bowl, um, I would have, uh, I would have gladly, because of uh, it, the stakes are much higher, gladly have traded those things for someone of your resume representing me in what I think is, and I hate saying this, but what might actually be the most important of my election of my lifetime, or at least the one of the most important in recent memory, I would have made, made that trade for sure. So let's go to the decision that you made to not pursue that any longer. And you laid out, I think, pretty clearly why. So we don't need to rehash that. But I mean, have you had any second thoughts at all? Are you confident that you still made the right decision in the 48 hours or so since you made this announcement? Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, you know, you you were you had a front row seat in Iowa. I mean, we poured our heart and soul into it. Uh, we worked really hard. Um, you know, we did generate enthusiasm. You saw some of the events. It, w- it was great. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I kept running into voters who uh, when I'm at the caucus sites, for example, speaking or when my speakers are speaking uh, at the sites on my behalf, running into a lot of voters who are like the governor's awesome. He'd be a great president but we feel like we just have to stick with Trump this time and, and he can do the future. And that was just, I think, the sentiment of a lot of those folks. And then it was also a situation where, uh, and, and you, you cited this, I think, probably before anyone, the lack of enthusiasm uh, overall to participate in the caucus. Uh, and we started noticing this in the fall where voters who had caucused in 2016, previous caucus goers, 
When they were being polled, they said they're definitely not caucusing. And it was kind of odd that they would say that because normally they would probably, if you've already caucused, you'd be like, well, maybe we'll see. Uh, they were saying definitely not. So our guys started drilling down to that. It turned out uh, these are folks who uh, did, they were conservative, but they did not want to see Trump nominated again. But they had basically been told that it was inevitable, uh, that it was over, that why even bother? And they just totally dropped out of the process. So to have 110,000 people show up when uh, 2016, you had 186,000 show up when Iowa has more Republicans this year uh, than they did in 2016. That shows you there's a lot of our voters who have checked out. So I looked forward and I said, OK, Trump got half the vote. Clearly, there was half that were open to an alternative. But what does it look like after New Hampshire when he has a big victory? You're going to all of a sudden roll into South Carolina, even if it's a two man race between us two and just shift the narrative. How are you going to do that? Are there going to be debates? No. Are you going to see the media be um, uh, eager to say that this is a horse race? No, they've moved on, basically. And so that was just the reality. And then I think in each contest, those voters that had checked out, I think that number will the percentage will grow. And those are the voters you need to be be competitive. So that's just the structure of this thing. Um, I think that when you when I got into the when I thought about running after my reelection, that was when Trump's candidates had wiped out in the midterm. And I think there were a lot of Republicans at the time who were like, you know, um, the governor has shown that these bold policies, not only do they work in practice, they work politically. We can win big. Trump's candidates didn't. And I think they were like, you know, maybe not be nominee again. Thank him for his service. And then I think what happened is the Bragg indictment and the other indictments, you know, really created a rallying effect to him. Uh, I think he had strong support from Fox and conservative media. Uh, and so so structurally, that was just something that was very difficult to deal with. So I said, the only way you can do it is just get on the ground in Iowa, go to the counties, meet everyone. And, you know, we did do a good job with that. But I think there were just so many people that weren't even checked into the process that I could have you speak for me. But there were people that wouldn't even think about coming this time that they had they had kind of checked out. So that's just kind of where the party is. Um, but I'm proud that I did it. I think we ran well. Uh, I think I had no other choice but to run. Um, and, and I'm glad that I did it. And honestly, I met a lot of great people along the way. And I'm a much better gov. I'll be a much better governor these last three years for having done it. I'm certainly a better candidate for having gone through the gauntlet uh, um, uh, of what you do in a presidential campaign. All right, the governor's screen is frozen. We're going to try to reconnect with him, Aaron. Drop him and reconnect here in just a moment. And uh, when we get him back, I want to make sure, Todd, that uh, we follow up with what he just said about the lack of energy because this isn't unique to this race. I know it's tempting to say, well, Trump is perceived to have had such a big lead, so what's the point? But I, and I would agree with that. If we had not had all the off year and special elections that took place last year when you could clearly see our people were were pretty demoralized. We have the governor back. All right. So let's go there. And then with Governor DeSantis, good to see you again there, Ron, to follow up with what you just said uh, last year. If you have uh, 538 did an exhaustive analysis of off year and special elections around the country and found that Democrats, whether they won or lost, Democrats outperformed the partisan demographic in those off year and special elections, whether it's Franklin, Tennessee mayor or a state house race like you just had in Florida just a week ago. Um, they outperformed by an average of nine points, indicating that there was much greater energy 
uh, among Democrats than there are Republicans. Now, we saw this play out in the midterms as well. We didn't see this play out where I live in Iowa or you govern and live in Florida, but we are seeing this on a national basis. Why? Because what we're being sold, frankly, from Fox and from, you know, a certain big accounts on, on social media is that there's this mass of people that just can't wait to relitigate 2020 again. And this is going to be like MacArthur returning to the Philippines and the country's going to rally around this. And yet when we look at real time results outside of the people that are most inclined to buy into that narrative, that does not seem to be what actually happens when we hold actual games, the elections themselves. Yeah. And, you know, now the, the corporate media is basically saying that they're, you know, for for months they were saying, you know, Trump's a juggernaut. He's going to he's going to he's leading Biden. Now they flipped almost on a dime. I mean, I thought they would give it two weeks. They haven't even done that. They're now saying Trump is bleeding moderates and some traditional Republicans that have voted for him twice. And they're really hammering this point. I did observe that. I mean, I observe voters who are conservative voters who voted for Trump in 16 and 20, and who said, you know, they're just not doing it again. And I think that was part of the reason why the turnout was low, because people had been told it's a fait accompli, Trump's up so much in the polls, he's got the nomination. And I think they're just like, you know what, we're doing this again, and they're checked out. So it's a huge warning sign uh, for Republicans nationally based on what we saw in Iowa. It'll be interesting to see what the New Hampshire results show. I mean, Trump's going to win that going away, but what's the overall turnout? They were predicting record turnout. I don't think it's going to be record turnout, um, but I think to the extent turnout's up, it's probably going to be up amongst the more liberal voters mm -hmm. uh, who, are, who are coming out. So this has been something that we've seen over and over again for years and years. Uh, I ran because I thought that my candidacy represented a way to break through that where we could win a clear-cut victory uh, and then obviously deliver on all these important conservative priorities that we wanted to see for years. Uh, but but Iowa showed there's big warning signs. And when I have people come up to me who voted for Reagan in 76 and have been conservative their whole life, say that they, they don't want to vote for Trump again, that's a problem. So he's got to figure out a way to solve that. I think there's an enthusiasm problem overall. And then I also just think there's, there's some voters that have checked out uh, at this point that you got to find a way to, to get them back. There's a broader, is there a broader problem here too, Governor, with Republican leadership in Congress where you once served as one of the founding members of the Freedom Caucus? But I mean, I, 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 in my inbox, I hear from just as many people who are like, I cannot believe we're doing this again with Trump. You know, I, I, but I hear from plenty of people, maybe even more, who are like, I just don't think these people care about me. They, they won't keep their promises. They won't listen to me, you know, and, and they'll just do 100%. the same stuff over and over again. So why am I even taking part in this process at all? 100%. I think Florida, we showed how you can unlock that. I mean, you know, we were able to win the biggest victory in the history of the state for a Republican because these are folks that we delivered for. If you deliver for people, they will come out like gangbusters for you. Instead, nothing ever changes in Washington. So in some ways, you know, we've kind of got the worst of all worlds. You've got the base that looks at these Republicans in Washington and knows it's all failure theater. Nothing ever happens. They're doing a ridiculous immigration deal in the Senate, which I, I went and asked, I answered thousands and thousands of questions. I, I heard from thousands and thousands of voters. I never had one voter want to do what the Senate is trying to do with their immigration you know, compromise. It is not going to solve the problem. So when you see that, people are like, of course they don't, they don't care about me. So you have that's a demoralizing effect. 
then I think you just have the, the effect that the Democrats have a very effective playbook on some of these independent voters when they caricature our candidates or can run against Trump directly, that even if they don't like some of the, what the Democrats are doing, uh, that's enough to get them to default back to Democrats. And so, so there's a lot to work through. But I can tell you, I would always ask audiences, Republicans took the House in 2022. Have you noticed a difference in anything that's happening? Mm -hmm. I know everyone raised their hand and say things, uh, things are better um, as a result. They've made promises. They haven't delivered on anything. And here's the thing. Our voters understand it's a, it's a constitutional system. There are checks and balances. You have a Democrat majority in the Senate. You have a Democrat president. They understand that, but they don't even see it as a fight. They're not fighting for any of this. They rail against the administrative state. They rail against the weaponization. They rail against the open border. And then they turn around in the same breath and they fund all of this stuff affirmatively. It's one thing if you're fighting and, and you lose a political battle because you don't have enough numbers. But it's another thing when you're ratifying the things that our voters find most offensive. Going again back to your House Freedom Caucus days, yesterday, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy went on Fox News and blamed the House Freedom Caucus for why Republicans can't govern. I'm guessing his definition of governing might be a little different than uh, what you've done in Florida for the last few years. What, What do you think Kevin McCarthy means by that? Does he mean that we can't cut the same deals that we could before because now you guys are going to expose us? Because that's kind of what I think it might mean. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that in in Florida, we we say that governing means, you know, big, bold colors, big victories, defeating the left. That's what our voters want to see with governing. Inside the D.C. swamp, governing basically means capitulating to the Democrats, that the Republicans serve basically as the junior partners in the D.C. ruling class. Mm. And that is directly contrary to what they campaign on every two years. And I think the problem, because when we did the Freedom Caucus, it wasn't because we were like banging our chest saying, oh, we're so much purer than you guys. We're so much more conservative. No, what it was doing is it was recognizing there was a massive gap between our campaign rhetoric as, as Republicans and the product that we were delivering in Washington. And the Democrats didn't have that problem. You know, they run on liberal policies and then they fight for liberal policies. For us, you'd have establishment Republicans spending millions of dollars uh, talking about how conservative they are in like a primary. Then they get up to DC and it's business as usual. So I think our voters, uh, they're sick of having Lucy pull the football, you know, from Charlie Brown. And that's what's happened time and time again. So I think what the Freedom Caucus is doing is just trying to get the whole party in line with what uh, the sentiment of our voters is. And and I don't think like if you were way outside what the voters wanted, then fine, people could, could criticize you. But the reality is it's the majority of the Republican conference up there uh, that is not following through on what our voters want to see. I want to we're talking to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis here on The Blaze. I want to ask you about two very uh, specific policy issues that our audience cares greatly about. Let's let's start with um, Operation Warp Speed. And you commissioned last January, requested, I should say, last January, a grand jury uh, in your state to look at some of the claims and some of the actual data that people like your Surgeon General, Joe Latipo, have have raised. And he was just on Tucker Carlson's Twitter show talking about some of that just last week. Uh, That request was approved. What what is the timetable for any form of a preliminary report from that grand jury? Is there any update that you can give us on that? 
So we, we thought, and so this is a secret proceeding, so we don't know what goes on inside. Um, I know they've been active, both hearing from experts as well as hearing from people that have been injured. Uh, and so, so it seems like it's been very productive. We thought there may be a report at the end of 2023. There has not been one yet. Uh, we do anticipate one in the first quarter of this year. And so that report can offer recommendations, that report can call for corrective action, it could call for, for prosecutions. Um, we don't know what's gonna be in it, but, but it, it, we will get one. And I think we're the only state in the country who's been willing to stand up uh, and, and, uh, and investigate this because we were sold the bill of goods. I mean, we were told that um, you were a bad person if you didn't take this. We were told that if you take it, you won't get COVID. And if anyone had any concerns about what side effects could be, you were told to shut your mouth. And then they wanted to say you couldn't even put food on the table for your family um, unless you took it, even if you've already had COVID and had natural immunity. So this, I think the, the um, warp speed in of itself is, is, needs to be evaluated and that is being done, but also how that was a tool for unprecedented coercion against the American population. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know if Congress has authority to mandate um, a, a vax under emergency use. I would say probably not, but clearly the executive does not have authority to unilaterally impose that on the entire American population. And yet the, one of the frustrating things with the campaign was I was the only one that wanted to talk about this. Uh, no one else wanted to talk about COVID. I think there was one question of in all the debates that brought up that brought up COVID. I had to inject it into different debates, whether it's Fauci, whether it's accountability, you name it. But this was one of the biggest events in our life. Uh, and yet we had we had one candidate who was president at the start of it. And when he get interviewed, no one would even ask him questions mm -hmm. about it. Uh, and so I think what we're doing is is important. Uh, I think that it, it potentially can can lead to some some reform. Uh, but one of the you know the the the, the regrets I have about kind of what, how 24 is turning out is I don't see at the federal level there being any avenue for COVID accountability. I think that you know you're going to have two major candidates that just that just want to pretend like everything was hunky dory. And and I know in both of those presidents made serious serious mistakes. And here's the thing: it's not about using it for fodder in a political campaign. It's about ensuring that this never happens to our country ever again. Quick follow up on that. Uh, Reagan obviously gave manufacturers indemnity um, in 86. Trump gave them double indemnity via Operation Warp Speed. But would there be an avenue for a governor like yourself pending this report and what it comes out with to go after the federal government on the grounds, hey, you guys promoted this relentlessly, coerced this, demanded it, um, that you guys are, are party to a fraud. You don't have the, maybe the manufacturers privately have indemnity. You don't have any. And so we want a reckoning there. Is there a legal recourse there for maybe the state of Florida to pursue against the feds? There might be. Um, it's not obvious that there is, but if there is, it'd be something that I would be willing to pursue. Now, this whole liability stuff, I mean, what Trump did, uh, I understand why he did it, but I think what it does is it just creates perverse incentives. Because yes, we want there to be developments. We don't want trial lawyers coming and bringing frivolous claims. I get that. Uh, but what you've created is an incentive, not necessarily to produce good outcomes, but just to sell more products. So for example, when the FDA does an emergency use approval for mRNA shot for six month old babies, there was no data to support that. 
There was no benefit that had been shown. Why are they doing it? Well, pediatricians will buy it, they'll do that. So obviously the companies make more money off of it. And so, uh, so much of healthcare is about the incentives being skewed that this is one example, if we can reform the incentive so it's more focused on the benefits to the patients and overall health, we would be much, much better off. But when we get that report, uh, if there's an avenue to hold the federal government accountable, uh, I am willing to pursue it. Two more questions for Governor Ron DeSantis here today on The Blaze. Your colleague in Texas, Greg Abbott, right now is uh, mano a mano with the U.S. Supreme Court, which ruled five to four yesterday that uh, as another, uh, it was one of my colleagues who supported you, Dave Rubin, put it yesterday. Basically, the Supreme Court said secede or be invaded. You know, those are your choices. OK, now, Governor Abbott so far and his attorney general, Ken Paxton, are kind of taking the Andrew Jackson, uh, Abraham Lincoln line, which is we're going to stay the course here. Good luck to you. But we're not we're not giving in this time. We've given in too many times. Um, if, if they called you up uh, as someone who has practiced some doctrine of the lesser magistrate in your state during COVID and some of the other things we just discussed, and who, of course, has a pretty extensive legal background as well, what would you advise them to do here, to, to listen to five people on the Supreme Court or the 30 million people that entrusted them to say, we don't want our sons and daughters dying of fentanyl and we don't want human traffickers in our neighborhoods? Yeah, this is what I don't understand. Uh, the Supreme Court has said, oh, the federal government has the purview over enforcing immigration law. That would make sense if Texas was trying to flout immigration law. In other words, if Texas was trying to open the border mm -hmm. and the feds didn't want it open, well, then I would totally understand. But what's happening is the federal government is not enforcing the law. So Texas is having to stand up to defend its sovereignty and defend its people they have every right to do that. So I would stay the course. We have people down uh, helping Texas, and we've had people for, for a while now, off and on since 2021. Uh, but I think one of my platforms as a presidential candidate was we would uh, uh, explicitly authorize the states to enforce federal immigration law. Why should a sheriff down there at the border not be able to deport somebody if they catch them coming across the border? It makes more sense. It's a force multiplier. Uh, so they should defend their, their border. Uh, and I think that they have every right to hold their ground. Final thing, you mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, you think this experience running for president has made you, will make you a better governor, will make you a better candidate because you've run the gauntlet already. You kind of have seen how the sausage is made. Um, you will be on the front lines of many battles the next few years. I mean, you're still governor of the largest, most expensive swing state in the union, although it ain't as swingy as it used to be <laughs> before you got more in charge. All right. Uh, but is that it? Are you plotting or planning to do this again? I mean, four years from now, you're not even going to be 50 years old. So is, is that something you are considering doing again in the future? Well, we'll see if, what, what kind of if we have a country left by 2028. I mean, I think I agreed with you, Steve. I, I viewed 24 as really a hinge point in American history. And, and if we don't get it right, you know, I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like um, in the future. So so who knows? What I will say is this is, um, you know, when I was in Iowa, uh, a lot of these folks that, that stuck with the president were very supportive of what I've done in Florida. They thought I was a good candidate. They thought I even had people say that, you know, they think that I would even do better as president, but they felt that they owed, owed Trump another shot. Uh, and so I think we uh, really made a strong impression. I think we've got a lot of support. Most of the people that supported me, whether uh, activists, whether volunteers, whether uh, fundraisers, you know, they're uh, uh, all on board, you know, for whatever the future holds. So we'll be we'll be active. 
We'll be exercising leadership down here in Florida and holding down the fort for freedom. Um, and so we'll see what, what the future holds. But I hope we can get a good result in 24, because if we don't, uh, it's going to be tough sledding for this country. And I think the left totally unimpeded. Uh, Katie, bar the door. We're going to need states like Iowa and Florida to be uh, uh, to, to be refuge. Well said. Good to see you again, Governor. Do not be a stranger. All right. God bless. And uh, say hello to Casey Forrest. Good to see you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much. God bless. Take care. We'll find out what Todd and Aaron think of that conversation after I tell you about where I'm probably going to be sleeping tonight because I overdid the squats over the weekend and my legs were too sore and now my back is uh, overworked because I used my back more than my legs yesterday. So I will be crashing in the perfect sleep chair. Uh, tonight. <laughs> I can already see it. All right. Uh, it is the best chair money can buy. Uh, not just when you're 50 and you throw your back out because you did too many squats. All right. But uh, just if you want to spend a nice long day chillaxing uh, after after Todd is here, after you put in a 70 hour work week, of course, then you may have a Sabbath day to watch football. Fair? Fair. 70. Okay. You, it, 50. Would you settle for 50? What about a Sabbath day to uh, do a lightsaber? Just a saber duel? <laughs> there it is. There's no Sabbath day for lightsaber fights for adult men for Todd. No amount of work you could do. None. All right. But the sleep chair is absolutely awesome. I love this chair made by Journey Health uh, and Lifestyle. Journey has been making health and home products for over 20 years uh, based right outside of D.C. But don't hold that against them because they have an A plus better business bureau rating. So they are a company you can trust. It's a fantastic chair, man. You can it's got heating. It's got cooling. It can go completely flat like a bed if you want it to, or you want to just recline. It does virtually everything. That's why they've sold more than 100,000 perfect sleep chairs over the, year, over the years. And if you are looking for the best chair uh, to watch the championship games this fall, or if you're like me, you just got to make sure that your back is supported uh, when you're sleeping at night. Uh, head to shopjourney.com slash Steve and use the promo code Steve at checkout for $125 off your order. $125 off your order if you go to shopjourney.com slash Steve and use my code Steve. Code Steve at shopjourney.com slash Steve. All right, reaction. I believe this was the first long-form interview the governor has given since he dropped out of the race. What say you? You know, before Aaron had to uh, reconnect, there was just the one answer was basically, Governor, tell us why you lost. In essence, that an answer from a candidate about why he lost was one of the greatest answers I've ever heard from a candidate ever and inspired me to want to work for him. That's one of the things I was truly hoping for, that I for for him to have a shot at that white house and and for me to ask steve you know what do you think as fun as this job is do you think we could go help him because he 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 doesn't just talk he does the thing and what he laid out about what happened in iowa so knowledgeable so decent in how he laid it out, grateful for having the opportunity, says it made him a better man, but underlying all that is the part B of my answer. Because he was failed miserably by people who are under the delusion for a variety of reasons that they can somehow check out on this thing and the left isn't going to swallow them whole. I'll tell you what, you can laugh and mock the idols of the left all you want and you should but the idols on the so-called right and the so-called right all it is right now is people who say i'm not the left other than that it doesn't stand for a damn thing 
your idols are as big, as shiny, and toxic as ever. If you can, and some of them are theological. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm just going to go sit back and do nothing. It, it's appalling. You let this man down. And by extension, you let your, uh, the future of this country down and your children down. I, I'm, I'm as disgusted as I was uh, uh, ever before. Just because look at what we just lost. An opportunity to follow this man in the defense and the fight for freedom. If we don't get this right in 2024, if it is, if it is a decisive uh, loss on any level, and we were talking about yesterday, kind of some of the Rube Goldberg concoctions that you have to kind of think up or hope happens in certain states RFK Jr. peeling away support from this and this and this. Um, Them not then killing him for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. He is damn right. We we could be praying in just a few years. Could be praying that Florida and Iowa and very few other states are bastions standing against a leviathan of the federal government. He's damn right about that. And I, sh- I shudder to think what all that could entail. But guys, think of the worst ideas that have been concocted by Democrats. There, there is no limiting principle on that side whatsoever. They've already gone. They've already crossed the Rubicon. They did that over and over again four years ago. They, they, there's nothing that will stop them if 2024 later this year is not if if the American people don't get it right. And I don't know what getting it right looks like. I I don't know what that looks like, but not off to a great start in my opinion. I hope I'm wrong. No. And you can already see, you know, everything we warned about. Look at the polls. You can already Every, I mean, they've already published. I agree with Ron. I mean, I thought they'd wait a few weeks. We're already uh, Biden up seven in Pennsylvania, Biden up eight here, Biden up five there. I'm I just, I'm kind of pissed off all over again. I was in yeah. a place of peace and contentment, and now I'm just like really disappointed in my country all over again. If you're having a hard time hearing as you're getting older, take my stepdad's advice and check out MD Hearing Aids. I let him try their product late last year, and he has been raving about it ever since. MD Hearing Aids knows with everything else so expensive these days, um, they're concerned about how expensive hearing aids can be. I mean, I'm, I'm almost, I've almost got my hearing and my right ear recovered to the point that I'm eligible for a hearing aid, and I mean, I'm... Without MD Hearing Aid, I'm getting quoted prices in the thousands of dollars, all right? But what if you had an FDA-registered rechargeable hearing aid that cost a fraction of that? With MD Hearing's brand new XS model, it cost over 90% less than clinical hearing aids. That's right, 90% less. It fits right inside your ear. No one will ever know it was there. 
because MD Hearing Aids was founded by an ENT surgeon who saw how many of his patients needed hearing aids but simply could not afford them. So if you want MD Hearing's smallest hearing aid ever, go to shopmdhearing.com, use the promo code Steve to get their new $397, that's it, when you buy a pair offer. That's shopmdhearing.com, promo code Steve, shopmdhearing.com for a hearing aid 90% less in cost than what you are being quoted as a cost in your clinic. shopmdhearing.com, shopmdhearing.com, promo code Steve. All right, we, we need to switch subjects because I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to start punching myself in the manlies the more I keep thinking about this. Like, I just want to just take a two by four and just keep pummeling myself between my legs for the generational mistake I fear we just made. But I hope everybody's engagements do great and, and the check gets cashed, homie, you know, and we'll just have to figure out maybe if that uh, I, if we end up being right 287 days from now, we can just apologize to our kids and grandkids later. Maybe, you know, buy them a new car, give them a new wing on the house, you know, whatever. All those all that uh, new engagement helped you with. I hope you all were right. I do because we ha- we can't we can't let these people win. I mean, I hope you're right. I just I have to move on. If I don't, I, I'm just. I have to move on. So we're going to. Okay. Let's do idolatry or not. And I saw this clip trending yesterday. Have you guys watched it yet? Yeah. Okay, so you guys have both seen it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, This is, and there was a lot of interesting reaction to this. So this is Russell Brand, who clearly has undergone some form of spiritual awakening in his life, or it's undergoing right now. He's talked about some of this on his uh, broadcasts. He's also a fairly critical thinker, whether you agree or disagree. His math usually adds up, meaning that, doesn't mean he has the right answer all the time, but he's he's his if his premise and his application usually align. Fair. He's a pretty critical thinker. Yeah. Okay. And so yesterday he discussed and shared this clip on social media why he wears a cross. Here's what he had to say. The reason I wear a cross is because Christianity and in particular the figure of Christ are, it seems to me, inevitably becoming more important as I become more familiar with suffering, purpose, self, and not self. Reading the Bible a lot more, and as I've told you before, I'm reading Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. When I grew up, Christianity seemed like it was either really irrelevant and old fashioned and sort of dusty and sort of incense and sort of, or they tried to modernize it and it seems just like, right, okay, we're going to talk about Jesus. And like both of those routes seem like, oh, I don't know if there's anything for me. And I suppose it takes a certain amount of adulthood and it might be different for all of us. For me, it seems that it's taken quite a lot to recognize that you need, I need a personal relationship with God. It occurred to me that if instead of always talking to myself inwardly, I could replace one of those voices with an indwelling God. It says in Galatians, it is our job to die so that as Christ died on the cross, he might be reborn in us. I'm very interested to hear what you think because for me, my heart is open. Let me know what you think in the comments and chat. Remember, you can join us on Locals as a member of our community. There's a link. So I... Here are the two reactions to this I saw, both for and against. And in general, 
Um, I, most of what I saw, and when I say reactions, I'm talking from you know people who claim to have um, to have Christian orthodoxy as a basis of their worldview. All right, when when I saw the reactions to this, most of it was positive. Hey, clearly God's at work in this guy's life. He's clearly exploring. He's clearly seeking. He's clearly searching. You know, ask, seek, knock. Hope he keeps doing that. Okay, he's close. All right. Those that had concerns were people that either A, came out of uh, New Age stuff, you know, like Celestine prophecy and all that, you know, New Agey kind of stuff. And they're concerned that they hear him kind of syncretizing those things rather than abandoning them, you know, trying to figure out how to, um, how to morph his pre-existing belief system into a Christian viewpoint when really a Christian viewpoint is completely at odds in every way, shape or form with what is con, you know, like Eckhart Tolle and Oprah Winfrey kind of new agey kind of stuff. Um, and so if you came out of that, I can see why you'd be pretty militant about any buzzwords or things of that nature, you know, that are like, nope, nope, nope. That's a no. You see what I'm saying? Or the invoking of Rick Warren. Now, I, I will say, if you went and read The Purpose Driven Life today, 20 years later, you probably wouldn't have much of a problem with it. You would probably think it's just kind of basic biblical Christianity of the, of you know, the most generic nature. A lot of it is just the, the kind of character and figure Rick Warren has become since this book made him a success. You see what I'm saying? Like, like the book in and of itself, I, you're not, you know, are there some things in there you're like, I don't know. But are, you, are we also doing entire worldview classes about how the purpose-driven life was uh, belched from the bowels of hell? No. It's just some of the stuff that Rick Warren has done since this book made him a superstar we are you know what I mean okay and so those were two of the things that that were predominantly mentioned among those who had reservations about what Russell communicated there so let's go to the two of you all right idolatry or not what do you think kind of reminds me of that video of one actor uh, Shia LaBeouf that went viral I believe it was last year maybe the year before and he says uh, many of the same things. I, I believe Shia LaBeouf has converted to Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it certainly seems like every time he comes up, I, I mean, I think he's on the road to sanctification or whatever the Catholic uh, term for, for that is. And he talked about some of the same things that Brand discussed in passing about why he, um, why he believes now. And one of those things is, is the concept of suffering. And I think that's pretty important in this context. And you look at actors um, like uh, Brand or public figures, celebrities, have had access to fame and fortune for so long. How did they suffer? They also sinned a lot. And sin will inevitably lead to some form of, of suffering. And so the awareness of that, I'd say, is, is pretty interesting. Just whenever we have these types of conversations, we had it with Kanye West, and it's obvious that whatever spiritual journey he was on was not leading to uh, leading to sanctification, like I, I talked about. It, he's he's just Kanye. But whenever we talk about this, we we tend to fall into two ditches. One is to immediately make people like this your figurehead, your spokesman for whatever sect of Christianity or Christianity in general. That's one ditch. The other ditch is that we completely write off this guy. I saw 
uh, commentary about how he's kneeling on a yoga mat. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if he's doing yoga or if he uh, does all the mantras and things like that. I, I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't do that in the in the video, and that's evidence that this is not a true confer- conversion. Maybe, maybe not. We just need to caution ourselves. Don't elevate people right away because they say things that you generally agree with or uh, are congruent with your faith. Don't do that. You're doing a disservice to them. On the other hand, let's just wait and see what fruit there is in these people's lives. I, I kind of... I kind of like some of the things, I mean, again, talking about suffering, he, he understands on some level what it means to die to self, or at least is beginning to understand that. That's a good thing. Yeah. But we don't need to make him our figurehead. We don't need to completely write him off either. Is he closer to the heart of God now than back when he was doing all sorts of wicked things? I think the answer is probably yes, but I don't know his heart in totality. So we need to take an even-keeled approach when, when things like this come, come to pass. And praise God one way or another that his word is, whether or not it's being used in vain here or what, what not, uh, his word is never going to return void. He is who's started a good work in you is faithful to complete it. That's what we need to focus on here. So, Amen. Um, that. That's kind of where I am. Anytime there's something where we need to make a, a judgment about some uh, new convert, whether it was last year, last year around this time, it was the Asbury revival. I said the same thing. Let's just see what the fruit is here. We don't need to rush to conclusions one way or another. Excellent point. And by the way, on this, the idolatry or not could go both ways because of our instant desire to take anybody with any form of celebrity or platform that gives us gives us any time of day and immediately elevate them. And I always go back to the John and Kate plus eight example, right? They had one great season of a, of a reality show. Nobody vetted them. And Zonder Van gave them this massive like seven figure book deal and everything else. And by the end of like season two, uh, you know, um, John is is tapping the uh, the, the nanny and and uh, and and Kate has moved out of the house and is ingesting lung darts, okay, at a at a Betty Davis pace. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, and that again, if we found somebody famous, so we're legit. You know, I think that the idolatry on this works both ways. In Russell's defense, in that clip, I don't believe he claims to have in, to have had a salvation yeah. experience or or conversion. It's clear that this is a seeking experience, uh, from what he says in that clip. Anyway, currently, Todd, what are your thoughts? Well, in evaluating this, admittedly, I start setting the bar pretty low on my expectations because, once again, I come from a state where I'm told you have got to worship the devil if you want to worship the baby Jesus at Christmas time. <laughs> that notwithstanding, let me take a stab at this anyways. It's a blessing of religious liberty. Yes, 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 it is. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, That book, Rick Warren's book, had become such a kind of phenomenon. It's funny, I was talking about Aaron with this yesterday within a different context that I just kind of wondered, and how many years ago was this, Steve? I I don't remember. So one day in Barnes and Noble, I just sit down, I pick it up and I read the introduction and I don't, I never read anything beyond that. In the introduction, I found nothing objectionable, uh, but I, re- I remember the first sentence. It's not about you. It's not about you. Yeah. So that that's a great start for any Christian book. Uh, And it clearly is playing out in that segment there. 
I, he must, I must decrease. He must increase. Gospel of John. So it's, uh, he said, uh, and he has admitted many times and, and very recently and with some allegations against him about womanizing and all that. So he, I, he, he has said, I was a scumbag, an absolute scumbag on multiple levels. And the eyes in my head were also part of what he, he did. What I found refreshing, it was clear that he was talking about when the Anno Domine, that's clearly a high church mm -hmm. Catholic kind of thing. Mm hmm. And then he goes to playing the, you know, the, the basically like the, the banjo, uh, and, uh, all of the, uh, like big mega church soft soap, uh, that you might get. Yeah. We've all, that's been a punchline for how long now on both ends of that thing, how now none of that is wrong per se, but it's, it's clearly the only thing people can remember. And they're net getting that solid food, the personal relationship with Jesus. He's not a philosophy. He's not just an apparition. He's, he's, he's a guy who lived and died and I can walk out and then friendship and seek wisdom from day in and day out. I, I understand the possible warning signs that Steve uh, mentioned, but I'll tell you what, we, we've played a couple segments just within the last week. Uh, and you got more solid food within that short segment that you the, from this guy than you did from Alistair Beck. Which doesn't mean we throw him completely under the bus, but this is, you think, you you either uh, die the hero or live long enough to become the villain. Don't. What? Every, be no respecter of persons. What did they say when the camera was on? And is that salt and light? Or does it need to be cast out? And I think anybody who's on a genuine spiritual quest, not for my truth, and he said, he's telling you right there, I got no time for my truth. My truth was an anchor around my neck. My truth was chaos. I want his truth. If you're really looking for truth, this was a decent place to start. So the verdict is not idolatry. Not idolatry. Earnest, no. earnest, see, for yeah. now, earnest seeking, because yeah. you know, that next week yeah. it could be another clip and said, oh. hey, oh, yeah. actually, you know, I read this book and uh, Jesus was the first yoga meister. Yeah. And then, then we're going to have a different take, yes, for example. Yes, we will. Yeah. I think I agree with both of you. I, listening to it again. I mean, I, I, if, if I, there are things, if I came out of the new age world that I buzzwords and things I would be concerned about, but he's not claiming to have arrived at some, you know, end point here. Um, it, it's clear he's seeking. Doesn't mean he'll end up, you know, no. at, at the right destination, but it's clear on some level that he is seeking and, and wants to have an earnest conversation about it. And boy, what you said there, uh, the juxtaposition between what we had last week from Alistair Begg, which who's one of the best Bible teachers in the world, but for Alistair Begg on a cultural flashpoint to say, you know what, don't suffer for the truth here. Go ahead and just uh, yeah. be nice and bend the truth and, you know, and, uh, and accommodate people who are violating it. Okay. Even at a sacred event, like a wedding. Right. And then here, here we have R Russell Brand saying it's, it's actually the idea of a willingness to suffer for what you believe that I'm attracted to. Yes. And you know what? That is how the early church conquered Rome. Yes. That's how it conquered Rome. The willingness to suffer for what it believed. 
and not just for, you know, a month or 10, you know, 10 minutes for decades, for a couple centuries. In fact, a, a willing, a willingness to suffer for what it believed and an unwillingness to go away. And um, no matter how many times Nero or Domitian threw them to wild beasts, a willingness to endure, to suffer. That's what, that's what conquered the Roman Empire. And <clears throat> we aren't, by and large, willing to suffer much for what we believe. And that's why we're in the process of being conquered. We're to stick around. It's that. It's not not good. We're to stick around and do overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow. Romans eight twenty eight. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.